You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. We could travel the earth uh, and dig for artifacts and try and discover hidden places never before seen by any human. We could spend millions and millions of dollars and we would never know some of the things that Hebrew speaks about because it's just, it is impossible for us in the physical realm to find these truths out. And so Hebrews is a wonderful book because God reveals these things to us and about Jesus, about his ministry, about things that are taking place in heaven. It's really amazing. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 8. And uh, we'll look at the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 8. The way I've been going through the book of Hebrews is uh, pretty much just line by line, just looking, just kind of reading it through, just commenting as I go uh, through, through the book. So I'm not looking to produce a sermon with an introduction, three points and a conclusion. So if you're a note taker and you're waiting for points, uh, if there are points... In Hebrews, you'll get points, and if there aren't points, you won't get any points, okay? So, uh, sometimes I preach topical messages, and sometimes, you know, we go through books of the Bible. It's not that I have a preference for one or the other. It's just really depending on what direction he's leading me in. So, let's have a look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Here is the main point. So if you're taking points, you've got a point. (laughs) And it's not just a point, it's the main point. And uh, after spending time explaining Jesus' role as high priest in chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews is saying, here's the main point. It can be difficult. You know, we've been through looking at the whole priestly thing, and sometimes you can be thinking, well... It's difficult to remember all these different various aspects of what they do, what Jesus is doing. And so the writer is summarizing. He says, listen, if you struggled in chapter 7, he has the main point, (laughs) which is really helpful. So what is the main point? So let's carry on. We have a high priest who sat down at the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. So the writer says he has the main point, and then he gives four points. So don't blame me for the confusion, but uh, there are four main points that are highlighted here. And these are them. Number one, Jesus sat down. That's an important point. He never needs to repeat the sacrifice that he made. That's basically what that means. The Levitical priests in the Old Testament, they never sat. They, all, they were always ministering. All their ministry took place standing because it was never permanent. It was always they had to make another sacrifice and another sacrifice and another sacrifice. And if you look at the, uh, if you read the book of uh, Leviticus or Numbers, you will read about the items inside the tabernacle And later on, it's the same items inside the temple. There's no chairs. There's a table, there's candlesticks, there's this, that, there's a curtain, but there's no chair because the priests never got to sit. While they were ministering, they were standing. When they wanted to sit, they had to go home. But Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of the Lord, okay? 
In fact, the only record in the Bible that I can see of Jesus standing is when Stephen, who was a deacon, was stoned to death. And you read about it, I think it's in Acts chapter 7 or 8, 7. And, uh, and it says, while he was getting stoned, he looked up, he saw heaven open, and he saw Jesus standing, which is amazing. And it tells me how much Jesus really cares for us. He doesn't just sit by and watch us suffering. You know, he doesn't just sit there. He's standing. It's almost like he wants to intervene. He wants to come down and stop what's going on and dish out some judgment. Okay? But as high priest, he sits down. And his sacrifice is once for all time. Never needs another one. So that's the first point. The second point is that not just that he sat down, it's where he sat. He sat down on a throne. See, Jesus is a king as well as a priest, and that's totally unique. That's a unique concept in the Bible. Although the NLT, which is the version that we read from, the New Living Translation, it says that Jesus sat down at the place of honor beside the throne. doesn't mean that he sat down next to the throne on like a cushion or a step. It's part of the throne of God. In the, in the Greek, it says he sat down at the right hand of God. And the right hand is the place of honor. It's a place of importance, place of power. And so that's where he sat. Uh, Jesus is not just high priest, but he is also king. He's the king of a heavenly kingdom. And it's something that that old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, never allowed. No priest could be a king, and no king could minister as a priest. There are two kings in the Old Testament that tried to offer sacrifices themselves in the temple, and both of them were punished. One of them was King Uzziah, and the other one, I'm not sure if you can remember who it was, King Saul. King Uzziah's story is a very sad story for me, uh, but it's a lesson, really, for us today. Maybe we'll just have a quick look at it. If you've got your Bibles, Chronicles 26. Sorry, 2 Chronicles. <laughs> so you get 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And if you've gone too far, there's Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Go back a couple pages. And if you've got the right Bible, it's page 373. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 26. Okay, we'll just read a few things about King Uzziah. Verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. So he was a pretty young guy. And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. Now that's long for a king. You read of some of these kings, they reigned three months. Someone took them out. 52 years is a chunk. In fact, I think David ministered or uh, was king for 40 years. So 52 years is a significantly long reign on the throne. Verse 4, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. What a wonderful guy. Just as his father Amaziah had done, Uzziah sought the Lord during the days of Zechariah, who was the prophet at the priest at the time, who taught him to fear God. And as long as, uh, as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. So he's this young king. He really seeks the Lord, and God gives him success. Then as you read on, 
verse 6, he declared war on the Philistines and he won. Verse 9, he built fortified towers. Verse 11, he had a well-trained army of warriors. Verse 14, he built weaponry for, these, uh, for this army. Okay, So he did a good job as a king. And then verse 15 at the end, his fame spread far and wide for the Lord gave him marvelous help and he became very powerful. Up till then, all good news. Verse 16, bad news. But, verse 16, when he became powerful, he also became proud. And how often doesn't this happen? We pray, we're desperate, God breaks in on our life, he blesses us, and then we think, I don't need God anymore. I'm okay. I'm financially stable. I've got the answer to my prayer. What do I need God for? We start looking inwardly. We become proud. And it led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord, his God, by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Azariah, the high priest, went in after him with 80 other priests. He needed support. And it says of the Lord, all brave men, because they have been a challenge the king, they could have lost their life here. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priests alone, the descendants of Aaron, who are set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have sinned, and the Lord will not honor you for this. Pretty bold to be challenging the king like this. Verse 19, Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, he was called red-handed, okay, became furious. But as he was standing there raging at the priests before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the high priest, uh, and all the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out before he got any more. And the king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. So King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house, for he was excluded. Because when you had leprosy, you couldn't be in the community. So by doing that, he had to live on his own. Okay? For he was excluded from the temple of the Lord, and his son, Jotham, was put in charge of the royal palace and he governed the people of the land. Because he sinned like that, God took away his ministry and gave it to his son. His son did the thing that he was supposed to do. What a tragic end. And here's a guy who started off serving God so well. But when he got successful, he became proud, cut himself off from God, disobeyed God, and lost everything. What a tragic, tragic story. And his son had to rule in his place while he died alone in isolation. All right, so Jesus sat down. He sat down on the throne. The third point is that he sat down or he's there in the heavens. Okay? Jesus' ministry is heavenly. It, it originates, should I say, from heaven and it's to earth. So the direction of Jesus' priesthood is heaven to earth. The Levitical priest is earth to heaven. They're trying to, they are trying to give offerings to God and minister up to God and get close to God. Jesus is ministering from the throne, saying, come and be here with me. 
So different. Uh, fourth point is that it takes place in the true tabernacle, which is pitched by God and not by man. Tabernacle just means tent. So all of those of you who enjoy camping, the Lord also enjoys camping. Okay? <laughs> and this is where the title of my message comes in. Because this is something that we would never, ever, ever discover here on earth. That it takes place in the true tabernacle of God, which is in heaven. Okay? Maybe you're wondering, you're going, hang on a minute. Do you mean to actually tell me that there is some kind of a tent or a tabernacle in heaven? Surely it's just symbolic. And my answer to that is no, I actually believe there is one. I really do. There's a, there's a very worrying tendency in Christianity today to over-symbolize everything in the Bible and to explain the Bible by saying it's all symbolic. None of it really happened. They're just trying to make a point. So Noah's flood wasn't the entire earth. It's just a story to explain God's judgment. Adam and Eve weren't really the first people God created. Uh, God didn't really make manna appear, which fed the Israelites for 40 years. The Red Sea didn't really part. It was just an extremely low tide. And they crossed over, their ankles got wet, but they made it. And, you know, once you start going down that road, where does it end? Did Jesus walk on water? Did Peter walk on water? Did they really feed the 5,000? Or is that just a, a metaphor to say what God gives you spiritually can reach thousands of people? Or can God actually multiply a loaf of bread enough to feed 5,000 people? Now, it's either all true or none of it's true. Because this Bible, the book, claims to be the Word of God. It claims it in 2 Timothy 3.16. It claims to be God-breathed. So if any of this isn't God-breathed, you might as well chuck the whole thing out. It's either all true or none of it's true. Anyway, you believe what you want, but I believe there is actually a heavenly tabernacle in heaven that's really there. Let's continue. Hebrews 8, verse 3, and you'll see it again. It says, and since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there are already priests who offer the gifts required by the Lord. They serve us in a system of worship that is only a copy. If it's a copy, there's an original. You can't make a copy of something that is that you, if you don't have an original. If I paint a landscape out of my imagination, it's not a copy. But if I look at a mountain and I paint it, it's a copy. Amen? It says, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure to make everything according to the pattern that I have shown you here on the mountain. Wow. So when Moses built the tabernacle, God didn't just give him a bunch of measurements. He showed him a pattern so that he could make a copy 
of the real thing. Amazing. I'm building some cabinets in my shed, and I'm build, I've got a pattern. I don't just have measurements. I don't just have, I need three boards that are this length and this wide, two boards this length, one board that length. If I just had that with no pattern, how would I know how to assemble them? I could have a mess on my hands. Or I could just put them length to length and have one extremely long board, but I wouldn't have a cabinet. You have to have a pattern. And so Moses had more than just dimensions. He had a pattern to work with. Amen? And that pattern was based on the tabernacle, the real one in heaven. Moses made a copy of the real one. Now, what does this all mean for us? So what? Well, before I became a Christian, I had, I had this idea of heaven. You know, like you see in the movies, it's like misty. You can't see the floor. There's just like cloud and mist. People walk around all in white and all, it's all pretty vague. It's like you don't really, you can't see the detail. You know, you can't see the wrinkles on people's eye. It's just all blurry. And there we are and maybe we're all standing on the clouds playing harps and to be honest with you, as a young kid, I thought, man, that just sounds so boring. If I've got to do that for all eternity, I'd rather not go there. <laughs> but the, the Bible paints a very different picture of things that are real. Heaven with a city made of gold, streets that are made of gold. I don't believe that symbolism. I actually believe the streets are made of gold. There's no financial crisis in heaven. Amen? If they need money, they can just pick up a paving stone and there you go. Cash that in. <laughs> but it's real. There's a, there are trees. There, there are, you know, I think about like Revelation talks about the, there's going to be a banquet, a wedding feast. Now, that means there's a table and chairs. Somebody had to make them. I don't just believe... Jesus is going to click his fingers and there's the, there's the banquet and there's the food. Someone had to grow the food. Somewhere in heaven, there's a veggie garden. <laughs> Why not? Otherwise, man, it's going to be boring. Seriously. But it, there's going to be stuff to do. You know, streets to walk on, trees to sit under in the shade. You know, music and art and all sorts of things. There's animals there. There's horses, chariots, you know. Maybe, maybe Jake will be the chariot uh, mechanic. <laughs> Jake's a mechanic. He fixes buses. Maybe he won't want to do that in heaven. I don't know. <laughs> but if it was the Lord's chariot, maybe it'd be different. Eh? But there's, there's, there are real things in heaven. It's not just this misty kind of unreal place. It's more real than what we see here. Because in a thousand years, this isn't going to be here. Eventually, these atoms that make up everything around us are going to disintegrate into nothing. But in the spirit realm, that is going to endure for all eternity. Heaven will be there in a trillion years' time when this, this lectern has dissolved into nothing. 
So which is more real? Heaven. There's a massive library in heaven. The biggest library you've ever seen for all you book lovers. And there's most likely going to be a book with your name on it. Because when we're judged, the books are going to be open and we're going to be judged by what's written in the books. And there's one amazing book called the Book of Life. Anyone whose name is in that book gets to stay with God forever. Now, I believe these are real things. And just like the real heavenly tabernacle, uh, Moses made a copy of it. The real Ark of the Covenant. A lot of people, a lot of treasure hunters are looking for the Ark of the Covenant. They're looking for a copy. The real one is in heaven. Let me show you, if you don't believe me, Revelation 11, verse 19. Revelation eleven nineteen It says, Then in heaven the temple of God was opened. So what's in heaven? There's a temple. And the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. That's the real ark. Moses made a copy. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. So what's in heaven? The real temple, and inside that, the real ark of his covenant. What's in that ark? I don't know. It's, it's got a covenant in it, because why would it be called the ark of his covenant? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's the new covenant, or maybe it's a covenant that the father made with the son. Who knows? Maybe he made a covenant saying... I'm going to make people. They're going to fall away. I'm going to need somebody to take their place, to sacrifice their life. And if, the, if you do that, I will raise you from the dead. Maybe God the Father made a covenant with His Son. Who knows? One day we'll find out. Eh? Anyway, Revelation 15, 1 to 3. Let's have a look at that. We'll see it again. Revelation chapter 15, just a few pages on. Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a, a glass sea mixed with fire. I believe there's actually going to be a glass sea there. The surface will be in another area of heaven where there's waves. Okay, But this sea is going to be flat like glass, mixed with fire. And on it stood the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps. Maybe we are going to have harps, okay? <laughs> as long as it's a harp and not a tambourine <laughs> that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Anyway, let's drop down to verse 5. Then I looked... And I saw the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. Seven angels who were holding seven plagues came out of the temple. And they were clothed with white linen, golden sashes across their chests. This, to me, this is all real stuff. There is actually, you know, one of the things when I, when I saw the movie Thor, and I'm not endorsing go and see the movie Thor, but when I saw Asgard in that movie, the first thing that came to my, my mind is, wow, if that's what man can think up, imagine how much better heaven's going to be. Because Asgard is a city made of gold. It looks pretty amazing. 
But compared to heaven, it's going to be a dump. <laughs> That's the reality. And I just thought, they've got that rainbow bridge. It's like glass with color in it. Maybe that's what that sea of glass looks like. And even better, in heaven, glass with fire inside of it. It's going to be amazing. I don't know about you, but this stuff really stirs me up. You know, the, the buildings are made of gold encrust, encrusted with precious gems. And it's going to be unbelievable. But Hebrews is pulling back the curtain saying this is some of the stuff. It's going on. You'll never know about this, but it's going to be pretty amazing. Don't go down the path of, of making everything in the Bible to be symbolic. Some of it is. A small portion of it is. But when you read something, it's real. And it's, unfortunately, it's a Greek way of thinking that's crept into, into the world and not a Hebrew way. I'll give you an example. The word repent in Greek is to change your mind. The word repent in Hebrew is to change your direction. So, so Hebrew thinking is, what does it look like? What do I do? When I, when I read of Jesus laying hands on the sick and healing them and saying, go and do likewise, okay, let me go and do that. That's how Hebrew thinks. A Greek thinks, a Greek, not, I'm not having a go at Greeks here. This is Greek philosophy. The way that they think is Jesus healed the sick. What does that mean? Oh, Jesus is a healer. Uh, healing is possible, all that. But they're not thinking, actually, what must I do? And the Bible is all about faith in action. Go and do it. This stuff is real. This stuff is actually there. It's not just symbolic. Amen. Anyway, we're running out of time here. Let me just finish off this section Hebrews 8 and verse 6. It says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God that is based on better promises. So we have a better covenant with a better high priest based on better promises. And we'll have a look at that in the next message when we get to that, all about how superior the covenant that we have with God is compared to this old covenant. But I hope that this morning, you're coming away with something of like, hey, you know what? There's some incredible things going on in heaven and one day I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna see there. And if you don't think they're there, that's fine. When we're there, you can meet me in front of the tabernacle and we can talk about whether it's there or whether it isn't there. <laughs> anyway, let's stand and we'll close in prayer. You've been listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. 